Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and this is part two of How to Build Tax-Free Wealth Using a Self-Directed IRA. This is my interview with Glenn Mather, and uh, the episode went rather long when I was recording with Glenn, and I just decided to chop it up into two quick 30-minute episodes. And so this is part two of that first episode. So if you haven't heard the first one, just go back to the previous episode and listen to that. Again, what we're talking about is just how to grow your wealth in a tax-deferred or tax-free basis. And you can do this through a self-directed retirement account, what we refer to loosely as self-directed IRAs. And there are several different kinds, as you have learned from Glenn in the previous episode. But the bottom line is just to help you gain control of your capital, grow it as fast as you can, diversify within your portfolio, have control of your financial future, and take advantage of the tax-advantaged accounts that are laid out by the IRS using these particular vehicles. And that, again, allows you to either defer your taxes or grow your taxes tax-free and take them out later. So you can pay your taxes one way or another, either up front or down the road. But anyway, the episode is filled with valuable information. So pay attention, gather what you can, listen to it twice, and just recognize how you can start and grow and leverage your retirement savings. So here we go with the continuation of my interview with Glenn Mather. Here's what I like. I mean, you're right. I mean, because the 1031 exchange, you have to hop through a lot of hoops, right? And you got to find an exchange person and go through and, and identify three different types of properties you can go in. There's all sorts of rules, and I'm not up on all of them. By the way, we are opening within six months our own 1031 exchange business because we are starting to get so many people that have money in IRA and money outside the IRA. Right. So they're twins as far as I'm concerned. But one has to do with like continue to roll up wealth, right? And accumulate wealth. Right. We're doing the same thing in IRAs. Yes. But we don't have the restriction of like kind exchanges. Right. If I can buy, for instance, I can buy currency. You know, there's people, things, a lot of people do things that I don't do in my own retirement plans, but they love it. So they love to speculate on that. You can buy cryptocurrency, create an LLC, buy cryptocurrency. The next day, move it into long-term assisted living, you know, go to something that is lending money. So you can do all of this. You don't have to even stay in the same class because you're doing it under the umbrella of an IRA and under one custodian, you can move all the profits to all those different ventures. Whereas with 1031, you're restricted to the type of a like kind exchange. So I guess the answer to my question is really just built into the self-directed IRA in the, because with a 1031, you're trying to defer your taxes, but if you already have the assets and the cash inside a self-directed IRA, it's already tax deferred. So you don't need anything else to have the same benefit of that tax deferral. It's all just done within that IRA. And the beauty is I can continue to, you know, as long as I have eligible earnings, I can continue to add to it and add to it and add to it. So it's not just Right. Overall, the rise of the piece of equity and its earning potential, it's also new earnings that come in and cross over there. So yeah, it's, I like it better, but I don't have to, you know, soon our clients aren't going to have to pick and choose. They, I understand that everybody has different mounds of money and they may be in self-direction and I, or they may be in IRAs and they may not be in IRAs. There's certain kinds of investments that make sense not even to put in an IRA. So I'm not suggesting that everybody go a mad dash and put money into IRAs. I'm telling you that's where the money is because it all comes from employer plans, dumps into IRAs, 
and now there's over $8 trillion in it. So if you're going to, first of all, use your own first, and second, go use somebody else's to advantage yourself in your own investing, it'd be foolish to overlook that. Okay, so I'm excited to talk about Roth IRA, and if you'd like, we can talk about the solo 401k. Let's talk about what a Roth IRA is and how it compares to a traditional IRA, because some people are still not clear on what the difference is. Well, hopefully they're not going to be less clear when I finish, but let's give it a shot. (laughs) Okay. There's four kind of IRAs. The first one was a traditional. And the way that those three work, they're all pre-tax, which means I get a tax break for making the investment. So, And once again, that's the government's best interest because you were taking care of yourself. So not only do you get a tax break going in, you get a tax break for the entire life of the investment until you take it out. So it's a long run and it's hugely valuable. And for the most case, and there's exceptions to this, most case, it even doesn't matter how much you earn. You can earn a lot of money and still get sheltered in these. The Roth kind of turns everything on head. And by the way, the way that the government gets taxed is at the end when you take it out. And if you haven't taken right. it out before 72, they force it out. It's called required minimum distributions, right. which means they're going to get their pound of flesh. But don't forget, you got all of these years of use of that money. It's phenomenal. Well, about 17 years ago, 18 years ago, Senator Roth from Delaware said, noticed that people weren't putting enough money in IRAs. They said, well, let's jazz it up. Let's sex it up a little bit, make it more exciting. And we're going to put a different kind of plan together, one that says you're going to pay taxes before you put the contribution in. And goes, everyone you know, goes, whoa, that's not what an IRA is all about. <laughs> it's all about pre-tax you don't pay. You say, well, hear me out. Once you put the money in, once you start investing it, just like all those other accounts, it's not going to get taxed. So during the lifetime of investing and adding money to it, it's not going to get taxed. Okay, well, what happens at the end? Well, nothing happens at the end. Well, what do you mean nothing happens at the end? You're never taxed. What do you mean you're never taxed? Well, you're never taxed. And by the way, if you've had it five years and you're at the age of 59 and a half, you can take it out without any taxes. What? The government never gives you these things. The government only gives you this for very narrow things. I can take it out and go to Vegas with it. I can take it out on vacation. I can, no limits. It, there is no use for it, use limitation. You can do it. The accountants always try to drive away the excitement, right? I'm an excitable guy and the accountants, you go hang out with accountants and they're just going to bring it down. They go, well, Glenn, that doesn't make sense if you're older. Because if you're older, wouldn't you want, because you're going to have to pay tax to get it into a Roth, either through a contribution or later on, you can do a Roth conversion, which is where you take your traditional and you pay tax on it, ordinary income tax, I'm sorry to say, and then it becomes a Roth. So it was interesting because I was torn with this because, first of all, I don't give advice or anything about what people should invest in. I'll tell you what I invest in. I don't care, but I'm not a great investor. I don't push myself out to be. I think I'm a decent custodian. How's that? But I read an article on the back page or in the personal finance page of the Wall Street Journal, and I remember it. It was about 13 years ago, and they said this. The writer of this, he said, I'm 60 years old. I'm in this awkward age because half the people I know, and I guess he lives out on Long Island where all the wealthy people do, I guess, in New York. Right. But in any case, half the people are retired and half of them not. And he said, we go out to dinner and guess who talks about taxes and how much they hate taxes? It's always the people that are on the fixed income. When you're earning the big checks and you're earning, you just figure out, oh, you're going to take home 60% of it. Someone's going to get 40%, you know. I don't care. But the minute now, all of a sudden, you got $3 million left, and you'd be fortunate if you did, right? The average person's not going to have that. 
but they're basically saying, I need about 80,000 to live, maybe 120 because I'm on Long Island. But each time I take it out, I got to take out another twenty, thirty thousand dollars to pay the tax on that. And yes, I'm in a lower tax bracket, but crap, this hurts. Right. I hate this. And so they started to see people that were even in retirement age switching to Roth because they said, I never want to, if I want to take a hundred thousand out, I want all hundred thousand out. I don't want to pay taxes. So as I got this gray hair here, and this wasn't touched up for this podcast, it's actually the color of my hair. I realized that I'm like them too. So year after year, I've been taking my IRA and converting a piece of it, converting a piece of it, because I too want all of the growth to be paid to me without taxes. Just to make a really simple analogy. So you have the restaurant analogy, and now you have the acorn analogy, which is basically, do you want to pay tax on the acorn, the seed, or do you want to pay it on the harvest? And that's what a traditional looks like. You're paying tax on the harvest, but with a Roth, I pay tax on the seed, the money that goes in. And once it's in, I never pay tax again. It's amazing. I have a comment about that. But before I get to the comment, my comment about the difference between the two in very simple terms is one is tax deferred and one is tax free. So one, you're deferring your taxes, right? And the other one is you are paying your taxes up front, but you're withdrawing on a tax-free basis. So you're paying your taxes one way or the other, either as you go or as you draw, right? That's exactly right. So the way my brain works, and I don't know if other people are thinking about this, and this may make this conversation very complicated. We don't even need to get into this today, but I'm just thinking, given all these variables Everything being the same, the length of time that you have the Roth IRA, the amount of contributions that you make all along, where do you end up with a bigger nest egg at the end of it all if you are making the same contributions pre-tax with a traditional IRA or after-tax with a Roth IRA, given the same contributions over the same length of time, which one ends up with the bigger nest egg at the end, assuming the rates of return are the same too, of course. Has anybody ever done a study? Well, you got, oh, of course. Yeah. And there's lots of studies. There's actually lots of Roth calculators you can crank in and put your own scenario in. The one part that kind of fouls the well a little bit on that analogy, it's not quite so simple. It also has to do with estimating what your tax rate's going to be when you take it out or you don't take it out. And that's the part that we don't know. I mean, we have this deficit spending. I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot of appetite for lowering interest rates. I mean, how do we do it in today's environment? And so especially by the difference in time between you and the age of taking it out. It's 72 if they were traditional. I've looked at the numbers. They generally sway about anywhere from, depending if, if you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in your senior year, which would make your, your required minimum distress uh, less costly to you. You might be slightly better off, but generally with a Roth, you're about 5 to 9% better off. And it depends on your age too. But understand, it's great to sit there. You got a big microphone and you got a loud voice that goes off to a lot of people. But understand the thing that we don't want to admit to is that investing is emotional as well as monetary. It is, isn't it? I go to bed a lot better on my, because I know that, that my retirement is just based on on how well Newview does, but it's also based on how well single family homes rent out. So I get all of that. So where that comes in with a Roth is the fact that I know I don't have to pay taxes ever is just like the most freeing thing. So even if I have to pay a lump this year, 
once that check's gone, it, only a CPA would care whether I end up winning or losing. It's how I feel about my money. Does that kind of make sense to you? It does. And what you just described is the emotional component of it, not the logical, mathematical rate of return calculation that I'm thinking about, right? I'm looking at this as a math equation. Which one's going to give me the biggest bang for the buck? And you know, it's a matter of sitting down with a pen, a pen pad and a calculator or some analysis tool and making a bunch of assumptions, keeping variables constant, and then running your numbers to see what it, what it ends up being under your assumptions. Yeah. And you know, the other part that really comes into play is if you have an opportunity to engineer when you do the conversions. So if you have an off year, if you have a down year, you know, if you're self-employed and you can push off revenues to the following year, let's say there's a lot of stuff happening in December. I mean, I have a great friend who has built his self-directed IRA. When he came in through the door, he's, he had $55,000 left and he has $1.6 million in his Roth IRA. And he did that. He con- converted in the first couple of years, all of it because he had down years, he could write losses off. And people in the real estate game have that opportunity to do that. And I think Whereas if we work traditionally and, and we make a good living, we might be up in the 25, 30% bracket. That's hard to swallow and say, I'm going to electively write a check to the IRS for an extra 30, you know, 30, 40, $50,000, depending on how much we want to convert. Because every fiber of my being in my business and what I do is to run away from writing checks to the IRS, right? Right, right. So it, it is funny and it's strange to talk about the emotional side of investing, but I will tell you it's, it's a, as real as probably the non-emotional side. Yes. Well, it's a big question when you ask the question, you know, should I convert? Why should I convert? When should I convert from traditional to a Roth IRA? And really, who is it best suited for? You're welcome to comment on all that, but I think people can probably dig deeper into that with a conversation with you or your team that kind of goes off on a, you know, another tangent. And it's pretty hard to be upset with a traditional IRA that's performed better than you can ever imagine because you're yeah. self-directing it. And the only thing, the worst case is try whining to your neighbor that your IRA is too big and you don't like the tax consequences of it. I don't think they're going to want you over for dinner too much because <laughs> they've been in the market and they don't have that kind of growth you have. So yeah, it's a choice, but it's something great and something even better. That's the way I would look at sure. it if you're in self-direction. Sure. If you have a tool like a self-directed IRA and you put a powerful investment vehicle like real estate, income producing real estate within it, if you play your cards right, it, it ends up being very, very favorable for you financially. I know you want to talk about the Solo 401k. Let's talk about that. I think it's a phenomenal tool, but more people need to know about it for those people who qualify to get one. Yeah. And the reason I don't start with the discussion is not everybody qualifies. Almost everybody could qualify though. And right. There's a little work on your part, but I, and I think people that self-direct are used to doing a little work on their own. And that's why they're watching or listening to you right now is they're willing to do that. But the way this works, if you kind of think about this is a, the 401k was created in 1975, right alongside the IRA. And the reason it was created is because businesses got tired of funding their retirements and they go, I don't want to fund these pensions. Let's figure out where we don't have to put that much in. And we put it all on the employee basically. And that's kind of what it is. So we're all used to having 401k plans and all of that. But there's a lot of cost associated with those because there's means testing, the attorneys have to go, the actuarials have to look at it. So even if you had a five or six person firm, generally speaking, they start at five to $10,000 and go up. And they're hard to administer and a lot of pain. But what we figured out is we could actually offer this to people that didn't have employees. 
Well, you go, how's that work? How's it a 401k? How's it a group plan? Well, the fact is it still has the same rules, but we don't have to hire the lawyers and the actuarials to do it. So what if we were to create a plan that allows people to self-direct, just like our IRAs, in anything the IRS doesn't prohibit, but we're going to drag in with it all of the really cool features of a 401k plan that are even better than an IRA. So item, there's about four items. Number one is I can borrow from it. And what's interesting is the government has just increased that borrowing power. So you can take up to $100,000, 50% of your IRA up to $100,000. I haven't read the recent rules. It's called the CARE Act. And so you've got me kind of at a disadvantage. I haven't right. prepared for this adequately. But I think that you can take a larger piece of it. So understand that you can borrow from it. The power of borrowing from your 401k plan is you're not paying a bank. You're not paying anybody else. You're paying yourself back. So ironically, you know, this is one that you can kind of, there's within limits, you can set even what the borrowing rate is. But keep in mind that if I was doing it, I'd want the borrowing rate to be the highest possible, right? I'm not trying to save anything. (laughs) I'm trying to put more in. So there's a rule against how much you can, how high you can do it. But this is great for people that like for a realtor, for example, can you imagine how uneven their income is, especially now? They could go borrow money to get them through this COVID crisis and then pay it back over five years, at least quarterly, maybe at prime plus one. So it gives them access to money. Number two is I get to choose whether or not I can make my contribution pre-tax or post-tax. We just did the Roth thing. So I get to put my contributions in and my contributions can be relatively large, up to $22,500, I believe, okay, in that, or 23000 I can make that determination. And by the way, I can even change that later by converting inside my own solo 401k plan. Isn't that cool? Yes, very cool. The company gets to put 25% of my earnings on top of that, and the total is about $62,000 that I can put in. Which is so huge. I can put more money into this plan than I ever could in an IRA. Does that make sense? Faster. I earn less money, I can put more in. It does. But for the people who are wondering why, because I know there's a lot of people who are wondering why is that, and the reason is, and you need to explain this, there are contribution limits per year for each of these vehicles. And so you can only accumulate so much capital so fast. And when you look at that compared to a traditional 40 or a traditional IRA, this is huge. So maybe explain that a little bit. Yeah, so a traditional and a Roth is five or $6,000. And so you can't, let's face it, that's not a real wealth building in a short term. You know, if you're 55 years old, that may be, exasperate you because you might have the ability to put a lot more in it. The simple plan is for companies that have less than 100 employees. There's a match associated with that. And it's still a relatively low limit. I think it's somewhere around $12,500. So it's more. Uh, the SEP is for solo-owned businesses, generally. And you can put up to 56000 You can put 25% of your earning up to fifty six. So you'd have to be earning about $220,000 to be able to put that in. That's why, so these are a lot of words, contributions in solo 401k plans. So I can take the first 22, if I'm over 50, I can take the first $22,000 dollar for dollar. So all I have to earn is $22,000. All of it can go in. Where I had a simple, I could only put 25% in. If I had a traditional, I could only put 6000 in. So you're right. The contribution limits get more and more valuable. If, if some of us are near the end of the runway of our contribution life, we, we're seeking for those places to put in a lot more. So that's a good point to make. So you can take a loan. You can make accelerated contributions into it. You can convert it at any time. 
And by the way, when it comes time to leverage your real estate, remember we talked about that at the beginning of the show? Yes. If I leverage my real estate, I don't have to pay this tax. It's called unrelated business income tax or unrelated debt financed income. It's exempted from that plan. So you can imagine how attractive this is to a realtor because a realtor, when they have good quarters, they can stuff more in it. When they have lean quarters, they can borrow money out of it. And you still have all the advantages of all the types of investments that you can do with a self-directed IRA. You get to do it with a self-directed solo 401k. Well, I would imagine this is very attractive to anybody who's self-employed, professionals, CPAs, attorneys, doctors, et cetera, salespeople, anybody in that category, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, question comes up, can you be covered under two plans at one time and stuff? And uh, bottom line is, is yes, you can, but you can't make maximum contributions to both plans. So for example, if I work here, but I also have a side business where I buy and sell on eBay, that would qualify for a solo 401k plan. I could have that plan. I could choose to be part of the new view plan and that plan, or I could just say, I'm not part of the new view plan. I'm going to roll that plan over into, if my employer allows it, into my solo 401k plan and use that. Got it. Glenn, this is subject matter that we could talk about for literally hours. And I know you've done that before. You know, oh, I could talk about it for hours too. Yeah, you eat and breathe and sleep this stuff. Let's kind of wind it down and wrap it up with some wealth building tips related to any of these vehicles. What can you share with us? I have a few in mind, but I'd like to ask you. Well, I'll tell you, I take that as a personal question. I mean, there's lots of different ways you and lots of things that clients do that I would never do. You know, they make big bets on one thing, right? It's like buying one stock and just hope it goes up. And when they do, they just crow about it all day long. You know how that works. Yeah. I think it really depends on what you're trying to get out of it. For me, I basically, it's not that I'm super conservative. I started this company. I took all sorts of risks doing that. But it's that I want to make sure that anything that I invest in, this is personal, creates cash. There's lots of ways not to create cash. There's people that want to buy gold, which you can buy in an IRA. And I don't dissuade people at all because it can be a pretty good insurance policy. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't create income, right? Right. So you want to make sure if you can have gold, you're going to have something that creates income too. Otherwise, it's kind of like shoving money under a mattress. And so I always like to be doing that. But I also look for things that protect me against inflation. You talked about inflation, right? So we're going to have some huge market swing, I predict, in the future. It's not just this. Even when this heals up, that there's going to be total industries that go, right? And I want to be in a place personally where people have to lay down in a bed because I know they'll always need a bed. They'll always need food. They'll always need certain things. Whereas I might be able to make a lot more money betting on the latest technology that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. By the way, I put 10% of my stuff in my wild fund. So I fund startups with my IRA. So I have fun with that. So I allow myself 10% of having fun. I never expect them to hit And it's so funny listening to these entrepreneurs. It's going to take off tomorrow. I can't wait. So I get to have fun with that. But to be real, I got to have, so I like mailbox cash that comes in every month and nothing really back to me is better for me than a grouping of single family homes and multifamily homes. And then I like to do debt on other people's homes. Once again, with the right 50% ratio, I like, they all generate cash. So my sense is, is that the day that I decide to step away from new view, I got the cash flow already. It's not going to be changing my lifestyle at all. And it's not that I, I don't have a wealthy lifestyle. 
but whatever you grow up with, it's a nice stepping off point rather than here's the problem I've got. I got a couple things in closing. The problem I hate with Wall Street and what they do is they say, get a lot of money up and don't worry, it'll come back. Just leave it alone. Get a lot of money and then sell out of your positions until you die. And <laughs> fortunately, you die early enough that you can pass them on to your kids. And I think that sucks. It's horrible. I think everybody, yeah, it's horrible. But I much prefer this. Why not have assets that create cash all the way through till you die? And guess what you give your kids? The assets exactly. that create the cash. I agree 100%. And hopefully you've been a good steward. You've taught them how to be good stewards. So they continue on in that process. Does that make sense? 100%. The other part about what I love about being outside of traditional markets, by the way, I think I own two shares of stock. That's it. And a total value about $5,000. I don't care about the market or what happens to the market. The reason for that is we are all hardwired in, as capitalists to buy stuff as cheap as we can. And I will tell you, you're the same way. And I would suggest that probably the house you bought, the car you drive, almost even the shirt you may be wearing was probably bought on sale or was brought it advantaged. Not because it looks bad. It was what you wanted, but you waited and you searched or your wife searched or somebody searched. The pod's in your ear. There's some things we just don't have time and we just pay retail for. But the big ticket items, we are driven to buy it cheaper. But yet we can't do that in public markets. We got to pay public price, retail price, right. Apple stock for everything else. None of the stuff that I have in my investment funds, I paid full price for. It's always been discounted. And you make your money as an investor, when you buy, because the market determines what you get when you sell. And with a self-directed IRA, I can do that. And I love that fact. I completely agree with you on the income producing assets comment. I mean, that's my favorite investment. That's why I love real estate so much is it's income producing asset. So those are all great points and tips. I'm going to add a couple more tips to that, if you don't mind. A lot of people understand that the sooner you start, the better off you are, because you've got the advantage of time on your side. And so the sooner you start a retirement account or a self-retirement account, the more time you have to work with to allow returns to, to grow and compound upon each other. So the earlier you start, the better off you are. So it doesn't matter whether you're what age you are, you can start one. Is there an age limit to when you can open up a retirement account? You have to have a social security number, which your six-month-old baby is able to register for. Probably their handwriting isn't very good, but maybe okay. you could stand in for them as, as their parent. But absolutely, as soon as they have that, their earned income, they have to have earned income to qualify and their earned income can be modeling. Probably that's pretty much all a six-month-old would do. But you have a business, you have a podcast, wouldn't it, you know, there'd be a certain mm -hmm. listener that would like to see you with a baby. So why not have a picture with <laughs> you and the baby? And the baby needs to get paid about $6,000 a year for that one picture. Interesting. You know, that needs to be uh, recorded with the IRS. Then she's not going to, she or he's not going to pay tax on it because it's so low. And meanwhile, that qualifies them and all $6,000 would go in a Roth, of course, a Roth, of course, an IRA with a Roth. Right. It would qualify. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And so you have 18 years really to teach them about money because after 18 years, they reach the age of emancipation. They take over that and you're no longer in charge. So you better make sure they don't take it all out. Well, yeah, my daughter's old enough to work and earn income, so maybe I'll set up a Roth for her. Yeah. So, yeah, so start early was one of my tips. Second, diversification within that. You said it, there's you know so many different things you can invest in, and that's great to have the flexibility and the options to do that. 
my favorite is income producing real estate. That is my favorite asset class. But of course, just looking at it from diversification perspective, I think is pretty smart. And last but certainly not least is choose your custodian carefully. And I don't say that really to pat you on the back or anything. I know you have a great reputation, but I think it's important to work with someone that you like and trust as a custodian because they're uh, obviously hanging on to a lot of capital for you. Well, I think that I appreciate that. And certainly every custodian out there would probably think, especially one that was founded by them, would think theirs is the best. And I don't want to go into why you should come with us. I think what you should do is engage us. And then do you get the time with somebody? Do you feel like you're being rushed into an account or do you get the time to answer the questions? I'm willing to answer any of your questions. All you have to do is reach me at gmather at newviewtrust.com. I'm happy to do it, but I will tell you, I'm not the smartest person in the room anymore. That's the scary thing about, I certainly was when it was only just me. I was really (laughs) smart. Now I got a great team. It's the one data point, which is this. The thing that irritates me when I get to a service provider call is I can't get someone on the line. And today we have our staff meeting and every staff meeting once a week that we look at what percentage of our phone calls get answered with a knowledgeable person. And I will proud to tell you today that we cleared our hurdle. Our hurdle is 98%. We actually made it 99% for all the incoming calls during the office hours. So that's the most important thing is to get someone on and then hopefully they're able to help you and we'd be happy to help any of your listeners. Explain what it's like to have a self-directed IRA. Great. So Glenn, I'm done asking you questions for today. Is there anything you want to end on? Any comment, tip, last, you know? No, I mean, I just want to encourage you. I I think right now, I think there's a lot of people that are really concerned. They don't know what to invest in. It's really hard. I would say that one of the best things you can be is a member of the right tribe. Because to go alone is really tough. Mm -hmm. We do events and we do webinars and we try to keep people informed and we do our best. And I know you do with the listeners. So, I mean, congratulations for you serving such a great resource to people because they're frustrated and they're concerned about their wealth. I would just say, hang in there from a standpoint and really start looking at alternatives because that's where the real opportunity lies in this economy or in even an improving economy. I think it's there. If you want to reach us, you can reach us at newviewtrust.com and you can certainly go on our website and we have a pretty good, like a 15 page summary, I think, which does a good job of breaking it apart for people that, that want to dig a little bit deeper, but not get overwhelmed too much with the details. And beyond that, we're happy to answer any questions. You answered my last question about your contact information, but I think we have to mention that newview is N-U, not N-E-W. Yeah, it's kind of back here somewhere. I'm going to put it in the show notes and on the website, so it'll be posted everywhere, but it's not spelt N-E-W, just so people know. Glenn, hey, I want to thank you very much for your time. This has been very informative. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can get you on again here within the next 12 months. Excellent. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Anytime, Glenn. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Thanks. And that pretty much wraps it up. I really enjoyed this two-part episode of Self-Directed IRAs. With Glenn, he is a very knowledgeable person and a super, super nice guy. Like I said during the recording, I've spent um, a couple of weeks with him over two different years on a cruise out in the Caribbean. So he's got a great company, great team. So uh, feel free to reach out to him for any more information. If you've got questions or you're just looking to figure out how to navigate the self-directed IRA landscape. So again, download the free report on our website, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode and to get notified of future episodes, just remember to subscribe to this podcast. 
and help us spread the word. We love when you share this with your friends and family. Do them a favor and help educate them financially. Thanks again for listening. See you on our next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.